It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. This is Lighthouse Faith Podcast, moving forward in truth and love. I'm Lauren Green, Chief Religion Correspondent for Fox News Channel and author of the book, Lighthouse Faith. There's hardly a more contentious subject these days than religion and politics, you know, of clashing worldviews as um, a political arena has become almost gladiatorial, sort of a fight to the death as one group's fundamental trust and identity is squared off against another group's faith. Is there hope that the public square can become a place where ideas are respected and faith is honored? At least one man thinks so. It's former two-term governor of Tennessee, Bill Haslam. He's written a book to help guide a hurting world into a more realistic understanding of faith in politics. And the book is called A Faithful Presence, The Promise and the Peril of Faith in the Public Square. And the governor joins me now. Welcome, governor. Thank you. It's great to be on the show. I appreciate you making time for me. Well, it's great to have you here. You know, um, I was just reading through the book, and I'm thinking, you know, a lot of people will look at this book and think, uh, you've got your sights on 2024 in the White House. And I'm just going to I'm going to be real blunt up front and say, do you? Well, uh, actually, uh, if you read the book, um, and I, I appreciate you reading that, but I don't think this is the type of book you write if you're planning on running for president in 2024. I wrote it because I'm like a lot of folks. I'm concerned about the direction of the country. Uh, I think we're, we're, as you stated in your intro, uh, we're confused about what the role of faith in the public square should look like. I think both believers and non-believers are a little confused uh, about mm-hmm. that. And I thought, uh, and again, circling back what what you said there, when you said there's hardly a more contentious topic than than religion in in politics or in government. You know, people say, well, you know, it. it uh, if you're invited to a dinner party, don't talk about religion or politics. And so I wrote a book about both. <laughs> <laughs> so you're real popular at the party. Exactly. Yes. I wonder I wonder why my phone hasn't been ringing. <laughs> but you talk about, you know, the, the basic element, though, of our understanding of religion in the public square is, that, you know, what's in the First Amendment. You know, a government shall make no law establishing religion. So what are really the limits of the First Amendment? Yeah, but we should also finish that or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Right. Exactly. And, and, right. Exactly. And I think that the brilliance of our founders was they said, listen, religion is so important. We're not going to let the government have a role at all. We're not going to let it establish it. We're not going to have any church established faith. And we're not going to prohibit people exercising their faith. And, you know, now we kind of, okay, we've we've listened to that so long. We a little bit take it for granted, but that that was that was groundbreaking when the founders did that 245 years ago yeah. um and to to say no in this country we're going to do it differently people's faith uh we're going to let them practice it the way they want to and we're not going to establish a, a state run church because they had seen the results of that that usually didn't end well for the church when you combine the church right. and the state the church is who loses yeah. Well, you know, that brings up a point. Um, this is and I, I don't want to digress, but I think you've made a really good point um, because the controversy, the current controversy about Hobby Lobby and putting that ad in the paper on the 4th of July, several newspapers and people saw there's a waving flag and the big words, one nation under God. 
And then they quoted um, Psalm um, 33. It said, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Now, to me, that is totally acceptable and it's, it makes you proud and yes, yes, yes. And then the backlash, people more than one brought up the issue of church and state, that he was, you know, Hobby Lobby's advocating for a Christian run government. And where does that come from? You know, I, 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 full disclosure, I know the Green family that that uh, owns and runs Hobby Lobby, and I've seen their incredible generosity to so many things. Okay, so yeah. Alex, I, I should I should say I'm not a totally neutral uh, commentator <laughs> on this. Um, but having said that, I think that's again the beauty of America. If a business wants to do that, they they should have the free right to do that. And if folks don't like that and say, well, I don't like that. I'm not going to shop at Hobby Lobby anymore. Then they have the, the power to do that as well. Hobby Lobby should be able to do that if they want. And that's their owner's view uh, of what they wanted to express um, about their faith and their country. Again, uh, I, it'd be totally wrong for the government to somehow say you can't do that. And mm-hmm. they take on for themselves the the asset or the liability of whether people like that and whether that will impact their sales uh, at Hobby Lobby. They, 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 they get to make that choice themselves. I mean, that brings up, you know, the Hobby Lobby obviously is not a government run agency. So it's, the government is not really involved in that. It's just a lot of personal um, public opinion about it. But the issue with this Christian um, engaged, it's a, it's a Christian um, group um, that they were denied uh, nonprofit status by the IRS because it said the Christian values typically align with the Republican party, making Christians engaged a partisan organization. Now that just, is that the government being overreaching that they're deciding that, you know, Christian values are Republican values. Yeah. Um, well, a couple of comments there. Um, I, I, I don't, uh, another full disclosure: I don't know enough about the case you're referring okay, that's to. Fine. Uh, but I just on the surface, but, but let me. But it is worth talking about. Um, the, the The government shouldn't be in the business of making a statement like that. Um, uh, would be the the first thing I'd say. And then second, I think as as a person of faith and as a Republican, I also would want to make certain that we never communicate that those are the two. Those two things are the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, we don't want um, the Republican Party to become the Christian Party or Christians to say you can only be a Republican. I, I don't I don't feel like that's biblical at all. There's certain things that Jesus is really clear about. There's other things that he's not. And for us to say uh, Jesus is on our side in these political mm-hmm. arguments on things that scripture is not clear about, I think is really dangerous as well. Yeah, I mean, I think there's an interesting um, section you have in your book Um that, you know, how do you think biblically about politics or politically about faith? Um, and that's the quandrum, uh, really, because conundrum, rather. Um, if you're a person of deep faith and believe the Bible is the word of God, shouldn't your faith really inform your politics and not the other way around? Uh, of course, I'm, my, the main point of my book is your faith should inform your politics. And uh, I think one of the points I'd make is all of us people of faith or not, atheist, d- devout Christian, devout uh, Jew, whatever. We all have our own worldviews and we bring that sure. with us to the public square. That's what ha- helps us determine our values. Um, I think where what, what's bothered me some is too many of us have let our politics determine our faith. Mm-hmm. Um, we've said, I believe this in the political arena, therefore, 
um, you know, to be a Christian or to be a devout person of this, this or that, you have to think this way politically. And I think that's where we have it backwards. But I think we should all recognize that all of us have worldviews and we bring those with us to the public square, regardless of what what your faith is. Well, and that's very clear to people of faith. But when people when there is an increasing number of people who advocate no religious views or they have no, you know, affiliation with a, a religion, um, they don't understand that the category itself is a belief system that doesn't recognize itself as a doctrine. I mean, just for an example, if you say, um, I think everyone should decide uh, for themselves what's right or wrong for themselves, that in itself is a doctrine. It's a doctrine right. because it, they must take it on faith. And you can't prove that that's ob- objectively right or wrong. You're betting your life on it, right? And then you're right. preaching it, and then you're preaching it to other people. So here you've got categories that really is a doctrine that people don't recognize as a doctrine. How do you fight against that in the public square? Well, I mean, of course, one of the things is to, you know, when you have a chance to engage that thinking um, on a personal level and to ask that person, well, okay, if you think everybody should decide for themselves what's right or wrong, how far do you want to carry that? You're going to carry that past murder? Are you mm-hmm, going to carry mm-hmm. that past, you know, uh, robbery in of course, their answer is going to be no. Um, there's going to be the things that they say are uni- universally accepted truths. But again, I think it's one of the places you, again, in your intro was great, by the way, because it, it reminded me of several things I wanted to bring up, but you've <laughs> talked about being people of truth and love. Okay. And mm-hmm. that's, that's one of the things that people of faith can uniquely bring to the public square is being both of those things. And folks who don't believe in truth say there is no such thing as true truth. Of course, you have to say, is that true? <laughs> right, exactly. And so they ultimately have a problem, too. But I think it's sometimes we it's more of the the weary world. You know, it's like when when Jesus comes before Pilate and talks about truth and Pilate says truth. What is truth? Right. And, you know, he's just kind of he's he's the precursor to today's modern age of uh, right. of, of of kind of a post truth society. But there's an issue. Right. If, if there's no such thing as truth, that leads to all sorts of issues. I think what, one of the things that I'd say, though, to, uh, to us as people of faith is we have to be both of those things. You know, you and I both know some people that take great pride in being truth tellers. Well, I just I just tell it like it is. Right. But they, right, don't, right. they, but they don't do so well with the love part. Right, and we, know exactly. other, we know other people who do great at love. You know, they'll, <laughs> they'll love people all day long. But, you know, the truth is, well, that, that gets a little inconvenient at times. So I think, again, that's one of the reasons I wrote the book is that we understand that we should be people of truth and love. And correspondingly, we understand we should be people of mercy and justice at the same time, right? As people are out marching in the streets saying no justice, no peace. We get that. We, we, we believe in justice. But we also know that we need mercy. We know for our, from our own personal experience uh, that I, I've, you know, I'm, Heck, I'm, I'm, I'm on vacation today and I've made 72 mistakes since I got up. OK, uh, <laughs> so I, I need mercy uh, and I want justice. The, the beautiful thing we can bring is we actually can bring the picture of a God who lived out mercy and justice at the same time on the cross. Well, and that brings up another question. And that's one of the issues, I think, for a lot of people of faith is that, I mean, do you know of any other religion in the world? like Christianity, that advocates for bringing those two elements together, truth and love. Um, and, and, and 
and and in the public square. I mean, do you know of any? Well, I, I don't. And like I said, I even I'd even go a step further and also brings together mercy and justice. Uh, mm-hmm. And the, it's the, you know, one of the th- I'll give you an example. When I one of the powers that a governor has is a power to uh, to grant pardons or give clemency uh, or commute sentences. Right. And and you think I-, I can figure that out. I can look at those cases and I will have this sense. I can be just. I can think about you know, ramifications of doing that and being fair to the victim's family and precedents that I might be setting. But I can also be merciful and say, this person deserves a second chance. And I'll be able to look at this flood of appeals that come into the governor's office. And I can I can have the wisdom to be just and merciful at the same time. And I found out I couldn't do it. It is mm. just, it's so hard. And you, you look at cases and it's, I, I would meet with our team of attorneys. We I made the bad mistake of postponing all those decisions till my last six months in office because someone had told me, you don't want to be flooded with that the whole time you're in office because either everybody you ever know that got a DUI back in college or a serious case of some from somebody you don't you will that's all you'll deal with if you mm-hmm. deal with them for the first so tell just tell everybody I'm gonna deal with these the last six months and I did and it was a huge mistake. Because wow. it was so hard to wade through there and to look at cases and try to figure out, again, how to be just and merciful. And I, I came away with a deeper appreciation for the gospel of a God who, uh, out, of, at, out of his mercy, wanted uh, for people like us to come to him. But out of his justice, knew that there had to be some price paid for that. Uh, and right. offered up his own son. We have that picture of just and merciful at the same time. You know, uh, let's take a break right now on Lighthouse Faith Podcast. We'll be back with uh, Governor um, Bill Hassel in just a moment. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table, the Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. All right, we're back with uh, Governor Bill Haslam and his book, which is a fascinating book um, that is called Faithful Presence, The Promise and the Peril of Faith in the Public Square. And one of the problems, um, Governor, in this um, public square debate um, is that people have a different idea of what morality is. Uh, people have a different understanding um, about um you know, the, the level of, of morality. I guess I said, I guess it's, you know, you, you talk about in the book, just seeking the welfare of the city, as Jeremiah mm-hmm. instructed, um, it's, you know, you know in, in the Old Testament. Um, and it's easier when all people have the same view of morality. Right. You know, but what about when they're, they're just vastly different views on what is moral and what is immoral? I mean, the two biggies that we bring up constantly, abortion and marriage. Right. I mean, these are fundamental things that if you're staunchly against or for in whatever area, these you're not going to agree. And these are areas where you can't agree to disagree. No, I, I mean, I think you're right. I think one of the things that that I want to make certain I don't communicate in the book is a certain mushiness around things mm-hmm. that we know to be true. Right. And again, on the issue of abortion, um, 
you know, if we believe life is uh, begins at conception, that's that's what we believe, right. and um, we can't back off of that. I think the the point I would also bring to the uh, argue, bring to the table, though, is I think where what we as people of faith who on a strong issue like abortion can do is we can approach that again with that spirit of truth and love. Uh, we don't want to back up on truth, but we also want to be people of love. And where I think we've messed up too much in the past is we've we've lost the sense of humility that that God has called us to. You know, we're called to, you know, as Micah says, to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly. And I'm, I'm afraid the world, particularly when it comes to us in the public square, doesn't see us as people who walk humbly all the time. And it's hard though because you've got, uh, you know, you've got people. It's it's one thing to be humble as a lay citizen and right. being a Christian. It's much easier. But if you're in politics and you you kind of make the quip that <laughs> that politics seems to attract people with oversized egos, right? Um, and and I'm just going to I'm just going to actually be real honest and say I think 24 hour cable news has has contributed to that. Mm-hmm. And I mean, if the only place you could have gotten on, you know, 20 years ago or 30 years ago or 50 years ago is one one news hole like in on the six o'clock hour. That's right. it. It didn't attract people with, you know, who really saw themselves as, you know, larger than life. But now that you can get on TV all the time, um, there are more people who are in politics um that perhaps do not have a servant's attitude about serving the community. Um, Lauren, I I think you're nailing it. And I think you even have pointed to the right cause. I mean, uh, because it's, it's so easy to go get airtime. It's a lot easier to, to, to play a Senator on TV than to really be one. Right. Right. Oh my gosh. Yes. You know, it's like, I'm not really a doctor. I just play one on TV. (laughs) And you you can do that in office. And I've seen, I mean, the people who I saw when I was in office who were the most effective governors were not, mm-hmm. most of the time were not the names, the people who, oh, yes, I, I, I listened to him last night on Fox or CNN or, you know, wherever you were listening to your news. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, today it's, it's uh, here's, here's, here's the, the thing I always say is it's way easier to make a point than to make a difference. Yeah. And and we should be about electing people who want to make a difference uh, because making a point doesn't really accomplish anything. And we live in a world, like you said, of 24 hour news cycle of, you know, you can turn on your TV and get 500 different alternatives. So you can not only watch the news all day, you can pick where on the political spectrum you want to watch. Right. Uh, and it's I mean, just you, have, you, have a, you have your choice of confirmation bias you um, got all it. over the place. Bingo. And so if I want to play to my crowd, it's real easy because I know where my crowd will be listening and I can go and listen to them mm-hmm. and I can uh, I can go make all the points that they want to hear so that, you know, so that my biases are confirmed or uh, so that, that their or my biases are confirmed. But again, so here's the back. You, you talked earlier about the Jeremiah 29 verse of of. You know, Jeremiah's writing to the Israelites, they're captured in Babylon. Uh, and I always tell everybody, you know, 
if I'm captured somewhere, I hope you write and say, I'm coming to get you as quick as I can. But Jeremiah <laughs> writes and basically says, you're going to be there a while. So, uh, you know, plant gardens, build houses, marry your children, uh, seek the welfare of the place where I have called you. And if we really do, are about seeking the welfare of the places where God has called us, then we're about trying to make a difference and not just make a point. Yeah, um, I mean, that's totally. I mean, I one of the things about um, being in politics is is who is running the show. And we talked right. about this. One of the things that uh, I did a podcast with Oz Guinness for last week, um, wow, not yeah. too long ago, and he made well, the let, me just, let me just say your the average IQ of your guest has gone down considerably since then. <laughs> no, it's that's okay. It's okay. Um, but he made the observation, you know, Osgoodness is a great historian and a great observer right. of the de- democratic process and particularly the Republic of, you know, the United States of America. Um, but he also made the um, observation that America needs another Lincoln, um, mm-hmm. that that's one of the problems is, you know, there is the strife um, of the Civil War that we are in right now. And and that is apparent. You, you made that a point, too, in your book that there yeah. is this strife that has not existed since before the Civil War. And you actually quote Lincoln, um, who said, you know, with malice toward none, with charity for all, with firmness in the right, as God gives us to see the right. I mean, this is really where we need to be right now, but there's no one with that kind of Lincoln-esque view of the world. Where are there Lincolns? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. And and we should be praying for for, for the Lincolns. I, I think the, the other thing that's I think significant about Lincoln is, you know, we talk about being uh, humble in the public square and was that even doable? He was, I mean, people um, thought, but uh, people mistook that humility for lack of conviction. Right. Um, And he was willing to hold on to that conviction to the cost of 600,000 Americans dying in the civil war because he was that committed to bringing the country together and to ending slavery. And, uh, but I think it, to me, when people say, well, you can't really be humble and be effective in the public square. Lincoln is who I point to. Yeah. I mean, this, and this sad thing, of course, of course, Lincoln was assassinated for much of what he uh, got done um, to stand by his values and understand that, that he could get it done through the political process. Um, And is there too much compromise in the political realm today? Well, I actually, I actually am going to say no. There's not enough compromise, and I know a lot of folks won't like me saying that. I don't mean compromise again on those things that we know to be true. That back to we we gave the the issue of life earlier. Okay, but here's the reality in our country: we're we're pretty evenly split, right? I mean, the last. Nine presidential elections have been decided by single digits. The Senate mm-hmm. is literally at 50-50. The House has like a, a four-member difference. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we're about as evenly split as you can be. And to accomplish anything, to actually go try to solve a problem, you can do it one of two ways. You can go, you can get a bare majority, which the Republicans had when we, when, uh, when we passed the 2017 tax plan. Mm-hmm. Or uh, the Democrats had when Obamacare was passed or when uh, the, the some of these trillion dollar relief packages were just passed, passed them on a solely partisan basis. Uh, and you can do it that way. But that's no way to do government. You yeah. want to have something that 
enough people on the other side can be persuaded to say that's the right course so that we're not just kind of ricocheting through time. Like, okay, we've got Republicans in control. We do this. Now we have Democrats in control. We do this and back and forth and back and forth is, is no way to do government. And uh, I mean, I'll bring up one, this again, you're, uh, I'm going places. People say, don't, don't go in conversations, but look at the whole issue around immigration. Right. Right. The, the, the issue is we don't have a, a, a policy on immigration and we haven't for a long time. And mm-hmm. I think for I think that's for two reasons. One, it's really hard to figure out a way to be effective. And number two, uh, to be honest with you, both sides uh, raise a lot of money and get a lot of attention off of the issue. And there aren't enough people who say, well, what can we do to actually solve this to where we have a policy that that respects our borders uh, and is humane, you know, that can do both of those things. to do that, there's going to have to be some compromise between the two sides. Yeah. I mean, I don't know of any venue, any place in the public square that really gives full vent to both sides, to vo- both right. voices. I mean, really intelligent. I mean, if you watch CNN or MSNBC, right. you know, they, they have their staunchest voices um, are on the liberal side and they have a few weaker voices on the, um, you know, the conservative right. side of it. And, you know, I, I think that it's really difficult to get a full picture. Um, just this whole Hobby Lobby thing. It's like, I mean, if you only read one source, I mean, you're like down in Hobby Lobby's throat. saying, like, I'll never shop there again. Um, and if you actually read the full, the, the real reasoned view of it, it's like, this is exactly what happened. This is exactly what they wrote. You go, oh, okay, well, maybe not. Um, but one of the things that I wanted to ask you about that I forgot to ask you before, but the, the Biden's new budget, um, and one of the things that it supports the, the federal funding of abortion. It's really basically throwing out the Hyde Amendment. How do you deal with that? If you're staunchly against abortion and see it as a great evil, how do you deal with a government that decides that your money that your taxes contribute to should support um, abortion when you're staunchly against it? That's what the Hyde Amendment understood, that that, that there was this wall, that there was this, um, that, that right. there was something that says, no, we shouldn't do that for people. How do you deal with that? Well, I mean, I think, again, realistically, that's where you have to enter the, the political process. And we have, you have to win um, enough seats, win enough elections where that doesn't happen. And um, I don't know of a different way to, to, to address that um, than to engage in the political process on those issues that you care about. Yeah, I, I do think that one of the problems we have today, uh, and you talked about this before, we and you talk about this in your book, is that people are less religious, and they don't know that they're still religious. That they've they've got a fundamental trust. It's just that it's not part of an organized religion. Um, and but there's but but because of that, there are varying values, um, and there's an identity crisis about who you are as a person, um, who you are as in relationship to. Um, a god. If you don't believe in that god, then you certainly don't know that you have an identity, an, an image of that god. So that's a problem right there. You've got a less religious country, and you've got laws that were made for a religious people. 
That, that's really well said, Lauren. That is really well said. And so I think as people of faith, the first thing we have to do is realize that, that it is, it's very different terrain. You know, we're, um, we're, we're used to, uh, uh, you know, going on a journey where we can use canoes, but now we're having to climb mountains. Yeah. I'm trying to think of the right analogy. And uh, the, the days of the, you know, 10 commandments being written on the courthouse wall and, of uh, you know, schools beginning with prayer, th- those days are, are, are gone um, mm-hmm. culturally. Okay. Right. And th- there's some of that that's not all bad. There was some just cultural Christianity that wasn't, you know, there, there wasn't any, you know, substance behind. But having said that, there was a w- sense in which people did know the Bible stories and did right. know the, the truths that, you know, whether they actually believed them and took those into their, in, in their lives is a different thing. But, you know, we have to recognize that the culture has changed. And so we have to approach that culture in a very, in a very different way than we would have, you know, than our, in our parents' generation. Yeah. You know, you say in your book that you actually made decisions, um, that your faith led you to make decisions that really unpopular with the GOP, which is the party you belong to, but also with Democrats. Right. What are are some of those decisions? Well, um, I'll give you an example, one that pertains to the conversation we're having today. Our state legislature, uh, Tennessee is actually a very conservative state. We're, we're, you know, heavily Republican. um, Mm -hmm. um, And our state legislature passed a bill to make the Bible the official state book of Tennessee. You know, every, every state has a state flower and a state insect and a state song and a it's et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and they passed a bill to make the Bible the official or the state book of Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And I had a problem with it for two reasons. One, back to the whole, you know, uh, we'll, we'll make no law establishing um, uh, uh, any religion. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I thought it violated the Constitution. And then second, I thought it trivialized the Bible. Right. Okay. A- and, um, you know, again, we're putting it up there with the state insect and the uh, you know, state drink and everything right. else. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and so I vetoed the uh, the book. And I remember I came home from work that day, and my wife Christy goes, "How was how was how are things today?" I said, "Not good. I vetoed the Bible." You know. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I mean, there would be an example um, uh, of something that had people on the right saying, "Well, I don't get it. Why would you do that?" Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And then the, um, things on the left would like get around issues of life. Um, that um, people on the left were like, well, you know, why, why are you taking away a woman's right? Um, so again, if I, I could think of, you know, a lot more examples, but if you're, I just, I honestly believe if you're being faithful to what you believe to be true, there are going to be times when your faith is going to go against the, whatever party you're in. You know, and you, you say it so well, and that's very well put, and your decisions, when you explain them, make perfect sense. Um, but that's one of the issues we have today in politics is that we hear the 15-second soundbite of the decision, right. but we don't hear the explanation. Right. Um, and, you know, persuasion really is, you know, the bread and butter of politics. You've got to be able to persuade right. people in the most truthful and loving way that you can't just walk away and say, I'm right and you're wrong. 
Laura, you, 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 you nailed it again, okay? Um, I think the fact that you know the media world so well helps you in all the, in these conversations to understand it. The truth is, as you said, we all want to listen to the news that we choose. We all have our own confirmation bias. And they're going to, somebody's going to come on and CNN's going to say, here's what happened in 20 seconds on the Hobby Lobby case. Okay. Right, right. And they're going to go, well, that seems pretty cut and dried to me. Uh, and as, as you know, we all know, most issues are more nuanced than that. There's usually exactly. a rest of the story. Uh, but uh, cable news is not set up to give you the rest of the story. And that's not in their interest. The, the, their interest is to drive outrage. And if I can get you mad enough, you'll keep watching. And <laughs> I can get you mad enough by telling you what you already believe to be true. Yeah, yeah. I think that's, uh, you know, I've got to ask you, though, and I know we're, we're wrapping up here, but um, I do want to ask you, I mean, do you have any sites on future political um, uh, uh, ventures? I mean, I know you, t- you turned down the, you know, taking the open Senate seat in uh, running for, uh, the, in Tennessee. Um, so you certainly, you know, are not obliged. You're not, you know, sure. hungry after politics. But I mean, if, I mean, you're still a relatively sure. young man. So, but do you have politics in your future? You know, something else. It, it's a great question, Lauren. And I, I'm not dodging, but I don't. I don't know. Um, I, I, I was a mayor and a governor for 15 years, and I, I loved it. I've never had a job. You know, we talk about the sense of calling. I've never had a job that I felt like, oh, this is what calling feels like. Um, mm-hmm. And I have loved it. I didn't, you know, had a chance to, to think about the Senate seat, but a legislative job is very different than an executive job. And uh, number one, and then number two, just wasn't convinced that people were really intent on actually accomplishing things in Washington at that moment. Um, so I don't know. I, I don't ha- I really don't have a plan right now. I'm not mm-hmm. one of the people that there's a lot of people kind of lining up their horses to find their lanes for 2024. Yeah, I, I am not doing that. But I, I also, to be frank, I would I'll be really sad if I never get to have another public service job because I loved it so much. And I feel like it's such a great way to to uh, to contribute. All right. So this is the um, this is another question on this same line. If if the GOP comes to you, um, the national GOP says, you know what, we need your voice out there and we want to recruit you to run for 2024 for the White House. What would be your answer? Well, I, my, my first, and I'm, I know I sound like I'm dodging your question, your, <laughs> but, but my first is I think people, the, the days are gone when there's a national party that where there's party elders who come to somebody and tap, tap mm-hmm. them and say, we need you. It's just, we're, we're not that way. It's a, it's a flat world now, you know? And right. um, if that was true, you know, Donald Trump would have never been elected president. Right. I mean, there were no, the party elders were not, didn't come and tap him. He decided I'm going to go do that. Um, and so I, I just don't think that's the realistic world that we live in. But again, if some people came to me and said, here's a way that I, I mean, the way I ended up running for mayor and governor, some people came and said, would you think about it? And I prayed about it and talked to a lot of friends of mine and talked to, you know, Chrissy was obviously in on the decision and became convinced that running was the right thing to do. Um, again, I just don't, you don't, the whole party elders deal is, mm-hmm. I, I just don't think is part of how the world works today. 
I want to thank you so much, uh, former governor of Tennessee, former two-term governor of Tennessee, Bill Hassel. Um, and your book is called Faithful Presence, The Promise and the Peril of Faith in the Public Square. It's a great book. And I want to thank you so much for being on White House Faith Podcast. Well, thanks for having me, Lauren. It's actually, I mean, it's been a fun conversation. Uh, you know, you, I've done, I do several of these, but it's your, your insight and your conversation has made this really fun. So thanks for having me. Oh, thank you so much. And thank you all for listening to the Lighthouse Faith Podcast. I'm Lauren Green. Have a blessed day. The Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.